My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. Hi, it's Paul here. I really hope you're enjoying the show and I'm going to ask you a favour if you are. Please do follow us. If you do, you'll get to hear all of the episodes first and of course it helps with my self-esteem. I'm only joking. Don't forget to rate us. We're currently on 4.9 stars, which is really exciting and every rating makes my mum, Teresa, laugh just a little bit more. Today's episode is the first of a two-parter with Dame Anne Lim. Now, the thing about Anne is she's got more letters after her surname than I actually have in my full name. She is the chair of the Scouts. She was the first female chair of the Scouts in its 108-year history and also the first openly gay woman to be chair of the Scouts um, as well. She was born in Mossside in Manchester, the daughter of a butcher, and she has sort of spanned the whole of the UK in terms of where she's lived and, of course, in terms of what she's done as well. She has such a a long list of kind of achievements and accolades, um, not least her setting up this really amazing um, charity called the Helena Kennedy Foundation. Um, In this episode, we're going to be talking um, about sort of Anne, obviously introducing her, her earliest memories of her mum and dad from that butcher shop uh, and growing up in a very working class community in Mossside in Manchester. I am joined today by the wonderful Anne Lim and Anne has the fantastic responsibility of being not only chair of the Scouts but the first female chair of the Scouts. Is that right, Anne? Well, that's correct. I mean, I've just stepped down from the role, actually, but I've done it for the last five years, uh, six years, sorry. And when I was appointed, um, uh, I was the first female uh, and indeed gay, openly gay chair of the Scouts. So double whammy. That is that is absolutely fantastic. just just break that down for me. The, the Scouts is, depending on which sort of side of the aisle you fall on, seen as a, um, a historic institution, um, very community-based, or perhaps sort of something a bit more reminiscent of uh, past years. What mm. was your experience kind of coming in as both of those things, as its first female and gay chair? Well, you're quite right that it's a movement that's rooted in history. Um, It's now 115 years old. And um, actually, as the largest mixed youth uh, engagement charity in the country, I mean, uh, over the UK, uh, there are um, over... um, three quarters of a million people engaged in scouting that's young people aged um four now to 25 and adult volunteers who support them so it has a big tradition that's rooted in that tradition of volunteering in your community and supporting and helping young people to get uh, what these days we call skills for life Mm. so there is a traditional element and there's a long history which has been sort of a bit up and down but actually What I think is fantastic and what I have learned so much from is the attitude of young people uh, today towards each other, towards building a better society, towards um, challenging each other, but also trying to understand each other 
Um, you, you know, there's so much that you're faced with as a young person uh, these days, whether it's to do with coming to terms with your own identity, um, coming to terms with the fact that actually you probably had a pretty rotten time at school over COVID because, um, mm. you know, tra traditional learning went out the uh, window, um, as did life as we know it. I mean, you know, there's there's all manner of things, really, which assail you as a young person. And I think what scouting does, as I say, from the very young age, we've got squirrels age four to six now, through to the, to the youth, uh, leaders um, at 18 and going on to 25 is it helps build um, a resilience, it helps build uh, an, an understanding of people who are different from you and how to deal with that in society and I mean if ever there was a time when we needed greater understanding of, of difference and greater promotion of inclusivity and equality and uh, valuing of skills across the board you know not just academic skills as it were then this is uh, a time for it were you ever a scout or, or sort of in the scout slash associated movements did you kind of benefit from all the things that you've said well yes I did but of course because of my grand old age um which of course will not be visible to the people <laughs> listening to to this <laughs> but um i was um not able to go into the scouts uh because until 30 years ago it was just for boys i mean it was known as the boys scouts um uh but for the last 30 years it's been open uh, to boys and girls to young people um of any gender um uh, indeed uh, latterly however we identify and define ourselves so it's as i say a mixed youth um charity uh for me though the equivalent, of course, was my brownies and my girl guides. Mm. And this was a significant part of my life, not at school, but doing stuff outdoors, lighting fires, um, cooking potatoes um, uh, wrapped up in tin foil in the embers of the fire, mm. um, you know, camping and doing uh, all the sorts of, of things that for a girl like me, a young girl like me, to have been born in inner city, inner yes. city Manchester in Moss Side, going out to the countryside was, you know, literally a breath of fresh air in every conceivable way and being amongst nature. Um, and the guides and the brownies and guide camps enabled me to do, to do those sorts of things. Um, so that's why I was very attracted to the idea of supporting the Scouts as chair. It's 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 fantastic to hear you say that, um, because there's so many parallels with with I guess my upbringing. You grew up in Manchester, Moss Side. I grew up in Bradford. Both obviously sort of Manchester's a much bigger city, but Bradford's definitely a big city. Um, what's interesting is that my my mom's incredibly political. Um, radical is probably the best way to describe her, and she I think because of the Scouts' um, history as the Boy Scouts was very against me going to scouts um which i, I sort of reg regrets probably the wrong words but um i don't hold it against her but i wish i had because i wish i'd have gotten all those uh skills that you just said talk to me about moss side when you were growing up there because obviously you know you you say moss side and most people in britain know where you mean even if you've never really been to manchester um, well, I mean, my mum and dad had a butcher's shop on Great Western Street. My sister was actually born in a room above the shop uh, because we lived uh, literally, and the shop is indeed still there, we li lived literally above the shop 
you know, which is kind of what you did in the, in the 50s. Um, and so to me, it was perfectly natural to help my mum and dad uh, who were working in the shop. Um, uh, my dad was learning how to be a butcher, uh, did all the cutting up the meat. My mum uh, helped serve the customers and um, uh, I used to uh, help them put away the meat at the end of the day by carrying various chunks of meat on on, on these ghastly <laughs> ridiculous really uh metal hooks you know to hang them up in an old-fashioned uh fridge so uh i played in the sawdust on the floor you know uh there was probably well i know i remember the cockroaches uh and there was there was probably blood dripping down i'm apologies to the vegans and the vegetarians for this <laughs> but you know um on the from the wooden chopping boards uh but that was uh really the first four and a half five years of my life um home and shop all intertwined plus my little friend peter uh who as it happened uh, had a different color skin from me although i never really realized that peter was um as we would say these days was black and he only had one parent at home um you know he was just my best mate and uh, we played in the back alley together uh and um it i have very fond fond memories of of actually what was probably quite a difficult time for my parents, um, but where I saw them working together to make a success of a business and and um, and that they did. And in fact, we moved out of Moss Side and moved to the leafier suburbs of Hazel Grove and Stockport and Cheshire. And the, the business expanded a bit. Got you. Um, is Peter still with us? No, I would oh. love to find him. Oh, that's, I, I don't oh gosh. because my parents are both dead. Yeah. I don't even remember his surname. Um, uh, uh, but I remember, uh, and it affected me profoundly when, age sixteen, I became a very radical member of the anti-apartheid movement. Mm. Um, it affected me significantly in terms of my um, uh, incomprehension, really, about the prejudice and discrimination somebody can feel just because their skin is of a different colour. I mean, I know that probably sounds incredibly simplistic, um, but, you know, the reality uh, for me was that I just had a friend um, and um, uh, that was seared emotionally into my consciousness. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm not even sure... I worried too much whether he was a boy. Do you know what I mean? It was mm. it was the kind of connection of the human heart, really, and and that's uh, and the fun, the giggling, you know, the doing maybe naughty things together. And we had this flipping dog in the in the butcher's shop as well. And it one day it ate my drumstick, and then it was it was sick all over all over the floor. <laughs> and Peter and I thought this was hilarious, you know. And then when my sister was born, home birth, you know, just like call the midwife. Um, uh, these are shared experiences at a very young age when, quite frankly, the colour of your skin or your gender doesn't matter at all. Um, of course, I do know that it does matter to one's identity now, but yes. that was just how I experienced it. And it's really interesting to hear you talk about um, your memory, I guess, of growing up in Manchester in Moss Side in the of Peter, because, and, and this may be my naivety speaking more than anything else, but I would guess that not many um, people who grew up in Manchester in that era had the same experience in terms of having a non-white childhood friend, or maybe they did, you're going to tell me that it's wrong, but that's that's quite unique in a way, isn't it? 
Yes, um, I don't know whether it's unique, but it was definitely my experience. And I certainly became aware um, later on uh, as, as I got older uh, that that uh, when we went back to, to um, and we didn't move very far away, Hazelgrove Stockport's not very far away, but when we went back to some of my uh, family living in Levenshulme, uh, some of my family living in Rushome, um, um, uh, and, and areas around that inner city Moss Side um, bit, that clearly Moss Side was obviously changing, you know, because it was in the wind rush, there was an influx of mm. um, immigrants, as we would say these days, and there were black people from the wind rush generation and, and settling there. And, and it, it was changing from having been a white working class area, if that makes sense, you know. Mm. Uh, of course, these days, if we go to modern day Manchester, I mean, quite frankly, some of those places around Chalton, Come Hardy, and um, uh, 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 you know, not a million miles away from from Moss Side, are very, very and with um, Withington, they're all very desirable places to uh, to, to be. So. You yeah. know? And, uh, and Manchester has transformed its its image in in terms of the kind of city that uh, is completely diverse, completely welcoming. I mean, I'm sure it has its issues, but you know, you don't get the impression when you go back to Manchester now that it isn't anything other than a really global city with a a, a very inclusive um, attitude towards communities. And I'm going to ask you this question, mm. and you, you can tell me to uh, you can slap my wrist through the through the screen if you want to. Um, and I ask it because I am someone who uh, sort of has the same thing. Where's where's the Manchester accent gone at? Because that's what people ask me about my Bradford accent. Obviously, I don't really sound that, like that anymore. <laughs> I still like to maintain this sort of the hard A's class and bath. I don't mind you asking at all. Um, and uh, there's a very clear answer to it, actually. Um, really, for half my life now, although I am a proud Mancunian, um, and as we've just been speaking, I feel very much that my roots are in Manchester and I'm uh, hugely proud of the city. If you spend 35 years in the south of England, um, where I never even thought there were poor people, I was so naive. I never thought they had working <laughs> classes in the South. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, but you just get very influenced um, by the environments in which you work. And then I met my partner, Maggie, who is from Buckinghamshire, and um, she's, she speaks differently. And I've been around um, her for 35 years, as well as being influenced by uh, just the, 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 the everyday sounds of London and the South. I think there's a distinction, not to be pedantic about it, but uh, I am a linguist after all, you know, having done French uh, for my degree and taught French um, in, in Manchester and in other places. I think there's a difference between accent, which you can lose and modify mm. and change, and then sometimes intonation. Mm. And that my, I can go into quite a northern intonation. I can sort of do a Victoria Wood if I'm listening to Victoria Wood or a Sarah Lancashire um, uh, uh, to, to have um, a slightly more topical northern uh, yes. name. So you, you, um, I, find, I might find myself saying uh, bath and path instead mm. of bath and path. But mm. actually, just unconsciously, you, you'd catch the melody almost, the intonation 
of of northernness and a slight flatness of northernness the northern <laughs> melody god what a wonderful um <laughs> turn of phrase i love that Let, let's rewind a little bit you mentioned your both your parents in fact in the butcher's shop can you just paint us a, a bit of a picture of of your mum um mm. sort of her background and your mm. memories of her i guess in the butcher shop your sort of earliest members of her yeah they're very strong um well my mum is it uh, uh, was i mean is in my memory uh, because she's very present to me uh, in everything i do um even though she's been dead for 20 years. And I, I think that's a very significant thing. I will catch myself saying things my mother would have said um, or uh, just thinking about um, something she might have done because somebody else has done that or I've heard something on the radio that she would have found amusing, etc. So, yes, yeah, she's been dead 20 years. She was a complete one-off, though. Um, really quirky character, born out of her time in a way, I think, mm. uh, for which I have some regret for her because, um, as I'll say a little bit, I think she could have done a huge amount with her life. She was a, an independent kind of character, uh, quite rebellious, really. Um, but because of when she was born in the mid-1920s, 1925, and then the war, Second World War, coming in 1939, um, when she um, uh, actually was evacuated, as children wow. were. Um, uh, she was only age 14, then evacuated. And then when she was 17, she um, uh, joined the um, ATS. She, she signed up. And I wow. think that was a, a license for her to, uh, first of all, live her own life and be independent and not have to work in in the pub which her mother ran uh, and I can say a little bit about that in a, in a minute but it, it enabled her to become who she was rather in the way that an apprenticeship or going to university these days for for, for us as a in your late teens might help you yeah. find who you are and what you want to do um, and she would talk about that time we have pictures in fact I was looking at some and also reading the words this afternoon that I said at her funeral um we have pictures of of of, of her in her ATS uniform uh, with all the friends that she met after the war she then went to help with the uh, reparations in Germany and worked with uh, wow. the British troops uh, there uh, rehabilitating um, parts of northern Germany so she traveled and 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 then um actually in her what would it be um uh, uh, well mid 20s um which was actually perhaps quite old for those days but she was 26 when she got married she then got married and my mum and dad had to make a life for themselves they had mm. to earn a living and so when I explain that they they did get married and and then they got the butcher's shop and they worked together all their lives in a in a, in a kind of joint business um and I, I suppose that kind of what I describe as as um, uh, as uh, somebody who would have been a woman of independent means had she had the finances, mm. had she had the courage to do her own thing, rather than fulfil the expectations of society and her mm. family um, at that time, which was to get married and to have children. Um, I think she she would have been a bit of a loner. Uh, I think her quirkiness would have taken her 
to places that she read a lot and I think she could have she could have written things and you know she could have had a completely different career I don't think that she necessarily regretted that because she actually made the choice to marry my dad and and she had two children and me and my sister wouldn't be here without that but there was something about her background that was quite Victorian really a quite um, an expectation she was she was her family were licensed vittlers they ran pubs um and her 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 um father died actually when she was 14 when she was evacuated at the beginning of the war so her mother took on the pub my my grandmother uh, and my grandmother's sister and they ran pubs all around manchester and bolton um and um greater manchester we, we once did a pub crawl with my parents to go visit all the pubs mm-hmm. that my grandmother and, and my auntie mina had um and being the bar women uh, um, uh, in, and being the licensed fiddlers for, so she she had she had um, quite a good role model there of, of of women in her mother, her own mother, and her own auntie doing things for themselves and running a business to earn a to earn a, a life. So I think the fact that they wanted her really to get married and settle down and and have children was was a kind of reaction to that. And you you talk about the quirkiness of your mum. How do you mean quirky for her time, or just generally quite quirky? Uh, quirky in the sense of funny, funny with words, um, <laughs> funny with her observations uh, about people and her use of language. She used to make up words. Do you know what gansies are? No, well, Gansies uh, are your gloves. Um, you know, she <laughs> don't know where these okay. things came from. Well, I mean, they're not, you know. But, um, yeah. I mean, actually, a Gansie is a sweater. But yes. but for, uh, she, she, she actually giblets were gloves. Sorry, um, if my sister listens to this, which she might not, she'll say, oh, you got that one wrong. Um, your Gansie was your sweater, which is a well-known word. But giblets for gloves isn't, you know. She used to take us to somewhere in Stockport, um, a little cafe called the UCP and we had pea and ham soup and she'd sit there um uh while we while we had this and would be observing rather like a Victoria Wood type character observing people's behavior and making funny remarks about 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 them she would see the unusual in people and in situations and she would downplay it in a fairly um, deadbeat way. Um, she wasn't very confident. She wasn't very confident, so she wasn't kind of loud or brash about this. Um, but actually, she was extreme. She could be extremely amusing, um, and um, and as I say, fun, quirky, funny in that um, offbeat, quirky, quirky way, rather, rather random. Perhaps a bit of an acquired taste. I mean, she wasn't a storyteller in the sense of jokes or anything. It was, it was just um, seeing life slightly scant, slightly obliquely, and seeing things that perhaps other people didn't see. If that makes sense, it makes complete sense. What's <laughs> interesting, I think, is if you, your mum, uh, your family, and you know your grandparents, I guess, were American. Um, they would be that sort of trajectory, you know, from running pubs to uh, running a butcher shop that became successful, et cetera. And now to you would be seen as the kind of epitome of the American dream. You know, someone who's, you know, pulled their socks up, well, an entire generation of, of a family who've done that um, and moved on. But we're not American, we're, we're British. And there is a question here in this observation. Do you think that's a fair 
characterization of the kind of trajectory of your family over those generations and a bit of a pointed question here how typical do you think that is of of most British people who start start out in inverted commas with working class roots I suppose what I'm sort of pointing to is your success Anne and the kind of beginnings of your family um I'd just love to understand that a bit more Yes, I agree with you entirely that the culture in this country doesn't doesn't celebrate that trajectory in the same way that the American dream is realised. Um, and that uh, is lived out, really, in the way that my parents, both of them, uh, but my mother probably in particular, because I think uh, she always felt guilty that I turned out to be gay. And she terribly worried that this would affect my career. Now, obviously, mm. because of my age, you, we won't go down this in, in great length because that could be a whole podcast in itself. But you will know how really terrifically difficult, I mean, Russell T. Davis has said it all, for men and for women, mm. um, life was in the 70s, 80s, 90s, until the legislation that we've had in the 21st century, really, in terms of um, same-sex couples being and living together. So that was always a, a big issue for my mother in term, and uh, less so for my father, interestingly. Uh, but maybe he'd been in the Navy and um, he was more mm. relaxed about it, I don't know. But they thought that that I was doing very well to have, uh, be the first child in, in our family to go to university. Mm. Um, I read languages and read French. I became a French teacher. That meant I would get a a job with a pension at the end of life, you know, all the sorts of things they didn't have, never mind the huge, um, in other people's eyes, um, uh, achievements that I may have subsequently gone on um, to um, uh, to have in, 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 in my life, um, uh, even after my mother's death. So um, I, I think that they probably, both my parents would be, uh, both pleased and proud of what I've achieved. But actually, I don't think they would have made a song and dance about it. Mm. I don't I don't think that they I think that they were still quite bound by that British culture that 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 doesn't say rags to riches is mm. is is it's great and anybody can achieve this. You know, I think they their horizon for me was just to stay healthy, to be accepted yeah. in life and to have enough money to live on and there's nothing wrong with that but actually what I have done um, I don't mean necessarily I have been the complete agent of that the way I have responded to opportunities that I've been given the people I've met the things I've done the way I've tried to live my life I think would, would be still quite alien to both of my parents actually. That's it for part one. Tune in next week for part two when we're going to be talking to Anne about how she came out to her mum, the experience of living as a gay woman in the sort of 70s and 80s and 90s before actually a lot of the legal changes were put in place um, and how uh, certainly I think she has helped create a, a real kind of legacy that I, as someone who's gay, um, and I guess many other people as well feel even today. We are on social media. How exciting. You can find us on Instagram at my mum made me pod. You'll get us on Facebook 
at my mom made me, Twitter at mom made me, and even TikTok at my mom made me. Why follow us on socials? Well, you're going to get extra bits from the show. You're going to be able to see our guests on video and, of course, watch their reactions to my mom's lovely and sometimes a little bit weird voice notes. So give us a like and a follow.